You are listening live to the latest edition of the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to be with you. Glad to be starting a new week with you. A lot happened this weekend. A lot to go over and get to today. We're going to talk NFL, college football, some surprising results this weekend. And we learned a lot, I think. But we still have a lot of questions left to be answered, and we're going to try and answer those as best we can for you here over the course of the next hour. Plus, I've got some hockey audio from Grant Petoni, several Northern Michigan players, as the Wildcats split a season-opening weekend series with Sparty. And, of course, we're going to play over-under as we do every week to end this show. But let's start, the way we always do on Monday, by going back and revisiting each and every NFL game from yesterday. And it starts across the pond out in London, where the Panthers took down the Buccaneers 37-26. Don't look now, but Carolina suddenly won four straight after starting 0-2, and it's been sparked by a quarterback change. Kyle Allen coming in relief of Cam Newton, who's down with an injury. Allen 20-32, 227 yards and two TDs. Christian McCaffrey had a tough day running the ball, 22 touches for 31 yards. He did have a TD. He was sensational in the passing game. Four catches for 26 yards. That also included a touchdown. By the way, DJ Moore with a big day receiving the football as well. Seven catches for 73 yards. Meanwhile, the defense forced Jameis Winston to commit six turnovers. He did throw for 400 yards, but he was picked five times and he lost a fumble. Carolina winners 37-26 to over Tampa Bay. Meanwhile, Baltimore winners over the Bengals 23-17. to We're not talking about Cincinnati in the same light as we are the Redskins or the Dolphins, even though Cincy is 0-5, because they're competitive in a lot of these games. They're in these games down to the final minutes. Unfortunately for them, it wasn't because of Andy Dalton. So many times this year, it was because of him. But yesterday, Andy Dalton wasn't very good. He was 21-39, 235 yards. He was picked once, did not throw a touchdown. Baltimore winners yesterday, they take over sole possession of the AFC North. Seattle with a win, 32-28. That was heard here on ESPN-UP. They come back to beat the Browns. And Cleveland continues to be an enormous enigma. But Russell Wilson leads a comeback charge, 23-33, 295 yards, two TDs. He was not picked. I think we can safely say that Russell Wilson is the MVP frontrunner right now. I think we can say that. Chris Carson with a big day, 24 touches, 124 yards, including one TD. And then give credit to Russ for the way he was able to distribute the football. Five different players with three catches or more, led by Tyler Lockett's 5-for-75 day. DK Metcalf, 4-for-69. As Seattle rallies to beat Cleveland, Baker Mayfield... Another tough day for him. 22 of 37, 249 yards, one TD. He was picked three times. Nick Chubb, 20 touches for 122 yards. He did score twice. Odell Beckham Jr. with his best game as a Cleveland Brown. Six catches for 101 yards, but it's not enough. Seattle gets a win over Cleveland. New Orleans 13-6 winners over Jacksonville. Teddy Bridgewater stays unbeaten as the Saints starter this year. The Saints rank 23rd in offense. How do you get to 5-1 and one with the 23rd-ranked offense? You have a good defense, and they balled out yesterday against Jacksonville. Bridgewater was fine, 24-36, 240 yards, 1 TD. He was not picked. Alvin Kamara, Latavius Murray continue to be a really good rushing tandem. And Michael Thomas with another big day, 8 catches for 89 yards. On the other side of things, even the greatest quarterback has... A bad day every once in a while. Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, all the greats have all had bad games one time or another. And Garner Minshew had himself a bad game yesterday. 14 for 29, 163 yards, no TDs. He was picked once. Leonard Fournette. 
20 touches, 72 yards. Was not efficient yesterday. He did have a good day receiving the ball. He was the Jags' leading receiver. Six catches for 46 yards. Overall, kind of a boring game. But New Orleans is 5-1, and one, and they get the win at Jacksonville. The Mitch Trubisky Bowl quickly became the Carlos Hyde revenge game as Houston takes down Kansas City 31-24. Deshaun Watson, 30-42, 280 yards, one TD. He was picked twice, however. Pat Mahomes on the other side, 19-35, 273 yards, three TDs, and one pick. Both of those guys taken after the Bears traded up to draft Mitch Trubisky three years ago. I tell you what, it became the Carlos Hyde revenge game because he touched the ball 26 times and ran it for 116 yards, including one TD. He had a monster of a game yesterday. And how about on the other side? The Chiefs get Tariq Hill back, five catches for 80 yards, including two touchdowns. They were missing the cheetah, but that wasn't enough yesterday. As Houston makes a statement, they beat Kansas City 31-24. The Dolphins just keep finding ways. 17-16, the Redskins hold on to win it. A must-lose scenario. The Dolphins scored TD with six seconds left in the game. They decided to go for two and try and win it rather than go to overtime. Conversion didn't work, and the Redskins get their first win of the year. Meanwhile, Miami falls to 0-5 with that 17-16 loss. It was a must-lose game, and the Dolphins did it. Protects their draft interest. Case Keenum, 13-25, 166 yards, two TDs, was not picked. On the other side... Josh Rosen benched for Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Fitz finishes the game 12 of 18, 132 yards, one TD. Got them back into the game late, but again, not enough to overcome the early deficit. Terry McLaurin had a big part in that. Four catches for 100 yards and two touchdowns. Rookie wide receiver out of Ohio State quickly lighting it up and becoming a fan favorite down in D.C. How about the Vikings with a statement win yesterday? 38-20, they fly past Philadelphia. A coming out party of sorts in 2019 for Kirk Cousins and Stephon Diggs. Cousins 22-29, 333 yards, four TDs. He was picked once. That was easily his best game of the year. Meanwhile, Stephon Diggs, seven catches, 167 yards, and three touchdowns. My fellow Stephon Diggs fantasy owners, this is the game we've been waiting for. We've been waiting for something like that to happen. Dalvin Cook, 16 touches, 41 yards. Alexander Madison, though, might have been the Vikings' best back yesterday. 14 touches for 63 yards, albeit Cook did have the only rushing touchdown between those two. On the other side for Philadelphia, Carson Wentz, 26 of 40, 306 yards, two TDs. He was picked once. Alshon Jeffrey, 10 catches for 76 yards, including one TD. Not nearly enough as the Eagles couldn't get anything going defensively against Minnesota. Arizona winners over Atlanta 34-33 yesterday. Dan Quinn is so fired. Arthur Blank can say what he wants, but Dan Quinn is not going to return as Falcons head coach next year. Not after this 1-5 start. And I say that because Arthur Blank has been supportive of Quinn up to this point. Says it's still going to be a few weeks before any decisions are made. But Quinn cleaned house last year, got rid of his whole coaching staff, took over defensive coordinator duties himself, and it's been his defense that has been his team's downfall. It was a great quarterback battle yesterday. Matt Ryan wasn't the reason Atlanta lost. 30-36, 356 yards, including four touchdowns. On the other side, Kyler Murray, 27-37, 340 yards and three touchdowns. He was not picked. David Johnson, maybe a tough day, running the ball, 12 touches, 34 yards. He was excellent in the passing game with six catches for 68 but in the end, it all comes down to a late missed extra point by Matt Bryant, one of the veterans, one of the most reliable kickers we have in the game today. I just felt bad for him. I hated to see the game end like that. 34-33, Arizona gets a win over Atlanta. The 49ers are for real. 
But I'm not sure if Jimmy Garoppolo is. San Fran wins 20-7 to yesterday over the L.A. Rams. I think we can all say the Niners, as one of the only two unbeaten teams in the NFL, are for real. Jimmy Garoppolo, though, he wasn't the reason they won yesterday. 24-33, 243 yards, no TDs. He was picked once. On the other side, Jared Goff wasn't much better. 13-24, to 78 yards, no TDs, and no picks. As good as that Arizona-Atlanta quarterback battle was, this one was the polar opposite. George Kittle had his best game of the year, though, on San Fran's side. Eight catches for 103 yards as he helps San Fran make a statement. I tell you what, we saw a culture shift yesterday, too, because for the first time since Sean McVay's become the head coach, the Rams have lost three in a row. And last year, all you needed to do was have coffee with Sean McVay every once in a while, and you had a head coaching job in the NFL. Now we're starting to see a change into the guard And I think people are going to start feeling the same way about Kyle Shanahan. His coaching tree is about to become really popular, although maybe the best prospect on that coaching staff is on the defensive end. Shanahan's an offensive guy. Maybe it's Robert Saleh. I think that's how you say it. Somebody look up how to say Robert Saylor, whatever his name is, the defensive coordinator for the 49ers. I guarantee a year from now when he has a head coaching job somewhere else, we're going to know how to say his name. Elsewhere, the Titans blanked by the Broncos 16-0, and Marcus Mariota is benched. Mariota is benched in favor of Ryan Tannehill in that game. No word yet on who the starter is going to be going forward, although I think that does forever change Mariota's reputation as a starting quarterback at the NFL level, and so does our own Chris Mortensen. We're waiting to hear right now whether he's even going to start this week against the Chargers as they get ready to play them with Ryan Tannehill coming off the bench. And Tannehill completed 10 out of 13 passes over 100 yards. He did throw one pick and took four sacks. But for the most part, the Titans offense is a mess. And it does appear they are close to basically making a change at quarterback with Mariota. I don't think he has a future in Tennessee after this season. Denver gets their second straight win blanking Tennessee. Meanwhile, the Jets shocked the nation. They beat the Cowboys 24-22. Sam Darnold coming back from mono, rushing himself back, and he looked great. Sam Darnold looked really good post-mono. 23-32, 338 yards, two TDs. He was picked once. Dak Prescott, meanwhile, 28-40, 277 yards, no TDs, and no picks. Just like that, the Dallas Cowboys are 3-3. Three and three. After starting 3-0, the We Them Boys fans talking about a Super Bowl Suddenly, the Cowboys are 3-3. Three and three. I know they're missing a couple of tackles, but man, this is not a Super Bowl team. You do not lose to the Jets, give them their first win of the year, fail to dominate a quarterback who's got a sensitive spleen, just coming off mono, hasn't played in a month. You don't do that and expect to go to a Super Bowl. And of course, I've got weekly Will Kane and Stephen A. Smith audio for you. Which one do you want first? Let's give you Will's audio first because it's sad and Stephen A's is funny and I want to end on a funny note. The Jets. I don't want to go to work tomorrow. Injuries, penalties, defense. Coaching. But I'm not worried about the quarterback. I'm worried that a man who fired Tom Landry as his first order of business stuck with Jason Garrett for a decade. I love Will, don't get me wrong. But Dak Prescott 
could turn after receiving the snap and run all the way through the back of his own end zone, and Will would find a way to blame Jason Garrett for it. As long as Dak is in a cowboy uniform, Will's going to defend him till the day he dies. You know what? That's not Will being a journalist. That's Will being a fan. I can respect it. I can respect somebody's passion and their fandom, even at that level. Remember a few weeks ago when Dak Prescott wanted $37 million? He didn't want an extension if it didn't make him the highest paid quarterback in football. So he turned down somewhere in the neighborhood of like $33, $34 million because he wanted $37 million. He wanted to be the highest paid quarterback in football. And right now he'd be lucky to get 20 He will. He'll get much more than that, but... But you got to strike while the iron's hot because you haven't done anything to help your case the last couple of weeks. You haven't done anything for your leverage. Can't even lead your team to a victory over the Jets. That's not going to do it for you. It does do it, though, for Stephen A. Smith. He was a pretty happy guy. He always is whenever the Cowboys lose. Cowboys are now three and three. The Jets, again, they get their first win to move to one and four. And then Sunday night football, the Steelers 24-17. They go on the road to a soccer stadium with a third string quarterback who was quacking on Twitter this week, and they beat Phillip Rivers and the Chargers, a team that many were thinking had Super Bowl aspirations coming into this year. And so far the season has been a disaster for the two and four Chargers. Pittsburgh, now at two and four as well. Devlin Hodges. That's a name you gotta get to know. Not as cool as Garner Minshew, but it was a pretty good win for his squad last night. 24-17, they beat the Chargers. And then a big one this evening. Monday Night Football Packers-Lions, 8-15 kick here on ESPN-TV. I know a lot of people here are going to be invested in that one. I tell you what, this was funny from this weekend. Maybe not, depending which side of it you're on, if you're a Spartan fan. Because after Wisconsin's demolishing of Michigan State this weekend... The official Badger football Twitter account tweeted out the scores of their results against teams from Michigan this year. 61-14 over Central Michigan, 35-14 over the University of Michigan, and now 38-0 over Michigan State. And they made the case that they now lay claim to the Upper Peninsula, that the Upper Peninsula has now been claimed by the state of Wisconsin. Maybe the Lions can help Michigan out tonight. Maybe the Lions can get it back. You can get the governors on the phone, see if we can work out some kind of bet for it. Winner tonight's Packer-Lion game gets the UP. How about it? I tell you what, let's take a timeout. When we come back, let's talk a little hockey. I've got some audio for you from the Northern Michigan hockey team and their big weekend. That's next on ESPN-UP. 
Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back, Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're along this Monday afternoon. Northern Michigan Hockey got back to action this year. They opened up the new season at home, and they did so by splitting a weekend series with Michigan State, falling 5-3 on Friday night, bouncing back with a 2-0 win on Saturday. And I've got some audio I want to play for you, that of head coach Grant. Petoni, I caught up with him after the game on Saturday night, talked to a couple of players. We've got all that audio coming up for you here this segment. But let's start with Coach, and let's talk about the team's defensive effort. Because Sparty managed just 36 shots for the two games combined. The goal was to hold them under 25 both nights. Northern did that and then some. Um, you know, all that starts with, um, I thought our decor played very well yesterday. Um, and I thought, again, they played very well today, that they're... They're turning and getting back to pucks with speed, and you know instead of just putting pucks around the yellow and passing their problems on, they do a nice job of getting pucks in the middle of the rink. And when you can come out of your own end and and you don't have to defend, you know, in, in the end zone, you limit people their opportunities quite a bit. So um, I thought we did a good job there. Um, and I thought we spent more time in their end, and that obviously limits the shots too. Sparty was within striking distance for most of the night. They even had a goal that was later waved off that would have tied things up late. But Northern just felt like they were in command throughout the night. Sometimes as a coach, you can tell f- four or five minutes into a game and your team's really dialed in. And um, I had that feeling tonight. And even though it was a one-goal game the whole time, I felt confident. Um, you know, I felt like we were keeping people to the outside. Uh, you know, and I think a big part of the, that low number of shots is um, our forwards did a much better job getting in shooting lanes. And sometimes they blocked them. Uh, sometimes they made the defender move his stick to the outside and miss the net. And what that, you know, ultimately does is it mitigates anything that could happen after that rebound. You know, whether it's off a pad or um, whether it hits somebody in front or a deflection. Uh, so I thought we did a good job up top and the offense was only getting a shooting lanes and it affected obviously the shot clock. Freshman goaltender John Hawthorne was perfect in his debut Saturday night, stopped all 15 shots thrown his way. Were the lack of shots that he saw... A concern to coach? No, no, he didn't face a lot of shots, but sometimes that can be challenging too um, to stay in a game when you're not feeling the puck. Um, I thought he looked very confident. Um, you know, like sometimes there's there's you know stretches in a game where you don't see a puck, and then some you know somebody gets an opportunity and look a little surprised by it. Uh, I didn't feel like John felt like that at all. Um, I thought he was confident. Um, you know, and and when a goalie's playing that way, it gives your team confidence too. Northern scored the game's opening goal on a power play in the first period. Griffin Lochran got his first of the year. Then they sealed it late in the game with under two minutes to go. Vincent DeMay scored his second of the year, an absolute one-timer that seemed to surprise everybody in the arena, maybe even his coach, just a little bit. I'd like to say no, but yeah, I mean, um, you know, you, you kind of feel, you know, you feel a little bit bad for, for somebody when that happens because, um, you know, I'm sure... You, know, you shoot that puck a hundred times, he's going to catch it ninety nine of them, and um, you know, it, and it didn't end up, you know, affecting the outcome of the game. So um, either way, like, I, and I thought he played good. Um, you know, we had some real point blankers that I, I thought he did a good job on. One aspect of Northern's game that shouldn't go unnoticed is the success that they've had on special teams so far. Their penalty kill looked outstanding, but they've got two different units. They're doing this with two different sets of penalty killers. Yeah, that, that was really important tonight. Um, last night we had a couple mental errors in the penalty kill, and, um, you know, 
spent a lot of time on that, and and we talked a little bit this week at the press conference about missing Rockwood and Loggins and and Denver, and um, you know those are really important roles on a team, and um, you know obviously Nardi and Lockwood did it last year, but um, I thought Khalid did a really good job. Slattery's done a good job. Um, Ty Reedman's done a good job. You know I think Andre can do it. You know, and all of a sudden now if you can. Use some guys that aren't power play guys. Um, you can spread the ice a little bit, and, and you can make sure that if you know the hard thing is when you take a lot of penalties and your top guys have to kill. If you need to get one at the end of the game, sometimes you're out of gas, and um, you know it's nice to have some some depth there. So we know Northern's defense was spectacular this weekend. They adjusted some things offensively Saturday night, and they're able to generate more offense and come out with the win. What they do, what they tweak, how they get it going Saturday night. Um, probably the power play. We made an adjustment there. Um, you know, they did a good job last night uh, kind of blocking our flank shots. So um, the first goal was a direct result of an adjustment. Um, you know, and we tried to move a little bit and slide a little bit to try to find some opening. Um, so, you know, sometimes you have to adjust when, when, a, pro, when a program and a, and a player is that committed to blocking a shot. you got to find a way to get it through. And, um, you know, I thought the guys did a good job. It was a big night for Hawthorne, a big night for Reedman, a big night for Lochran. The usual suspects did their thing. But a couple of standout performances came from DeMay and Grant Lovin, who quietly had a really good game Saturday night. Coach spoke about DeMay and Lovin after the game. Well, you know, I think they both had different seasons last year. Grant really started well to start the year. I thought he was, you know, till Christmas, uh, maybe the surprise of our team. And um, being a freshman, I think, you know, probably added to him running out of gas a little bit the second half. And, um, you know, he probably didn't finish the way he wanted. Um, you know, so that was, you know, a little bit of a taste in his mouth. I know he worked real hard to get back to where he was to start the year. And Vinny, conversely, you know, he, he gets hurt against Bemidji right when he's about to pop. And then all of a sudden he comes back and he gets mono. And he's out for, you know, four games with that. And then the back half there you see Vinny scoring goals. And, and it's not just him shoveling them three feet, you know, over the red line. It's he's ripping it. And, you know, that, that was a good sign for us. And, and Vinny's got a history of scoring. He scored in the USHL. Um, he scored at Shattuck. Uh, so he's always kind of been a scorer, and, and um, you know, it's really, you know, our team's going to probably go as far as, as those young guys can develop, and the sooner they can, and Vinny's really looked well in camp. I think Ty's looked well. Um, you know, Grant's done a nice job on that line because he's got some heaviness. Um, you know, we've we got to continue to grow those guys, and obviously Griff's going to be a huge part of our, our team also. So um, the quicker those guys can, you know, get acclimated to the ice time and the roles that they got, the better our team's going to be. If you missed Saturday's game, Northern came out sporting some new uniforms. They had gold uniforms with green numerals. They looked really sharp. Was that a coach's decision? Coach was asked after the game. I always loved wearing the third jersey, and um, you know what a great opportunity at home on a Saturday night against a you know big rival to to bring them out. I don't know how often we'll wear them, but um, I thought tonight was a good opportunity. This summer, Northern put together a fan experience committee. They worked hard at getting the best experience possible for the fans. And revamping the Barry Event Center this offseason, the place was packed both nights. Great crowds, great atmosphere, great energy, and Coach loved it too. It's unbelievable, both nights. you know. And um, I think the biggest compliment that um, you can get on your crowd and on your, on your home ice advantage is when uh, I had a chance to read uh, Coach Cole's comments today. And he was talking to somebody in the Lansing paper about it, and he said it was a really hostile environment. And I'm really proud how our guys battled through that. And um, that, to me, is a sign of, of respect. 
you know, and respect for um, how hard it is to play here, um, respect for the energy the crowd brought. You know, and obviously we feel it, you know, every game, um, more so when it's filled like this. Uh, but when you hear other people start talking about it, that becomes a real thing. So now a long road trip upcoming for Northern. It starts this weekend when they head over to Boston. They take on BU. What does Coach expect out of this series? How does he get his guys ready to take on the Terriers? Winning becomes contagious. And, you know, losing can also be contagious. So, you know, for us to, to come out um, tonight and, and, and change that outcome that we had from last night was really important. Um, and the thing that's, you know, for a coach, you can coach guys and teams much harder after success. Uh, I don't think I have to tell them, you know, what kind of program we're playing. You know, they, they understand that. And, um, you know, it's going to be a, a little bit of a different game because it'll be a smaller sheet. Um, you know, they're probably faster, maybe not as big, but probably faster. So um, we'll have to adjust some, some things in practice, get ready for their speed. But, um, you know, I, hey, as a player, you're excited to play those games. You know, you, you circle those in the summer and, and you want to go out and play against the best team. So, um, you know, hopefully... Uh, we have no travel delays on the way there, and um, you know we can get out and get prepared and get ready to play. So after BU, Northern opens with conference play at Ferris State. Then they're not home again until November. How do you keep the guys engaged, well-rested, what have you? Coach addressed that afterwards as well. You know, it's just kind of the way that the, the schedule worked out. and um, You know, I think I'm going to have to, um, you know, be mindful of rest. You know, there's just probably going to have to be a day off in there somewhere. Um, you know, with the with the back to back travels and um, getting home late from from BU, so um, that'll probably be something that we'll make sure we'll adjust. Had a chance to talk with a couple of players after the game on Saturday night, including the winning netminder John Hawthorne, victorious in his NCAA debut. You know, what I think I, I was seeing the puck okay. I was feeling it pretty good, but I think the guys also like you know they gave up 16 shots and and they they were, did a really good job clearing rebounds, keeping things to the outside for the most part. So. You know, like every shutout is a, is, a, is a team shutout, right? And I think tonight is a pretty good example of that. He pitches a shutout in his first career college game. Did he feel comfortable in net right away, or did it take a little time to adjust? I think it was pretty good. I think, you know, we do a pretty good job of, of getting ourselves ready to go before the game. We got a, you know, pretty good routine off the ice. And so I think, you know, once the puck's, puck drops, you, you got to start on time, right? And I think tonight uh, we did that as a group. We talked about Northern special teams with Coach and how good they were on the PK. What about on the power play unit? Ty Reedman was part of that, and he had answers. Yeah, I think we've definitely been working on it. Last night it was the other unit. Tonight, you know, my unit got it done, so it's good that both units are going. And, yeah, we've been working on it a lot, so we're proud of how our power play looks, and we're going to try and keep that up. Hawthorne seemed comfortable in Ned. He had a great defensive group in front of him, a great game plan by those guys. He talked about the defensive effort from his perspective in Ned. Yeah, again, I think it was a, it was a really good team effort defensively, and and any any time that you can start a game giving that up, you know what you like, or giving up that few, I think that's that's really good. That's what you want. It's the start that you want, and you know I think we just did a good job of that tonight. You heard Coach talk about how he wasn't concerned that Hawthorne wasn't seeing a lot of shots. Was Hawthorne himself concerned at any point during the game that he wasn't seeing a lot of shots? No, I think, you know what, like as a goaltender, your mentality just has to be to stop the next one, regardless of, you know, if at that point you've seen 20 or, or 5 or 3, whatever, it's just about the next one, and I think that's, you know, that's all you can control. You also heard Coach state that he'd like to say he wasn't surprised with Vincent DeMay's goal that ended up sealing the game with under two minutes to go in the third period. Did Ty Reedman feel the same way? Yeah, I think uh, I was going into four check. I was ready to get on the D there, and, you know, it just bounces in. So Vinny's a goal scorer, so he'll find a way anywhere he is.
So after splitting with Sparty on opening weekend, how's the locker room feeling? What's the mood? What's the vibe with the team? Ty had answers on that as well. Yeah, we're feeling really good. I think, uh, you know, last night was a good effort. We didn't uh, finish the way we wanted to, obviously, but split with a Big Ten team like Michigan State, that's really good for our confidence. And going into Boston, we're, we're feeling good. Went on Saturday, so very good weekend overall. So Hawthorne was outstanding in his collegiate debut in net. What does he do now? How does he celebrate this win, and where does he move forward? At the end of the day, it's all about the process, and I think we just, you know what, like have some enjoy it and for for tonight, and then, and then get ready for BU. You know, we got a big big week of practice coming up, and so that's just that's got to be our focus now. Does winning your first collegiate game via shutout of a Big Ten foe make it a little more special for you? Maybe just a little bit, said Hawthorne. Yeah, you know what, it's it's a good feeling. Like I, I I'd be lying if I. If I said it wasn't, it's but you know it's fun to get in there and, and it's always good to, to get a shot on and to win. You know I think that's the biggest thing. Um, but again, you know what? Like we just it's it's one game and I think we as a group like we we, we want to move forward. We want to be a good team every night. You know so I think uh, we just gotta you know get ready for BU and, and keep going. Northern Michigan hockey one and one after splitting opening weekend against Michigan State. Let's take another timeout. When we come back, we'll recap things that we've missed so far in the weekend, including baseball and college football. All that and more next on ESPN UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN UP and on the ESPN UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're along. Here's your Sports Center update. Simone Biles won her 24th and 25th gymnastics medals this weekend in Germany, making her the most decorated gymnast in world history. Coco Goff won her first WTA title this weekend. She took home top honors at the Upper Austria Women's Tournament. And finally, Benjamin Harrison, the 23rd President of the United States, was in office when the White House first got electricity. However, he was terrified of being electrocuted and refused to turn the lights on or off by himself, often going to bed with all of his bedroom lights on. That is your Sports Center update. Glad to have you along. Let's get you caught up on what you might have missed this weekend, specifically in the realm of college football and baseball, because we got baseball here tonight on ESPN UP. 7.30 first pitch as the Cardinals are basically in a must-win scenario taking on Washington. It's no secret why the Cardinals are down two games to none. Their first two games of this series, both at home, they have managed one run on four hits. They were no hit through the first five innings of the first two games in this series. And by the way, here's your stat of the day, and I don't know that you'll be able to find something more amazing than this. This weekend marked just the second time in Major League Baseball history that a team has been held hitless through at least five innings in consecutive playoff games. The only other time it happened was 2013. Tiger fans, cover your ears because it was the Boston-Detroit ALCS back in 2013. The starting pitchers in both of those instances were Max Scherzer and Anibal Sanchez. They were the ones who did it on the Tigers staff to Boston back in 2013, and now they did it to the Cardinals in 2019. How amazing is that? If they didn't do that, my stat of the day would have been the fact that Ryan Zimmerman just does not age. We talk about Tom Brady outlasting father time. Ryan Zimmerman at age 35. I tell you what, his major league debut was April 30th of 2006. He played third base for Washington. The rest of the Washington infield that weekend, this is per John Shambi from the ESPN broadcast, were Royce Clayton, Nick Johnson, and Jose Vidro. And just like that, I feel like I am 100 years old. 
Royce Clayton, Nick Johnson, and Jose Vidro. I tell you what, back to what's going on in the present day. It feels like a must-win for the Cardinals tonight when they go to Nationals Park. Jack Flaherty will be on the bump, winner of 11 games this year, ERA at 275. Steven Strasburg, though, on the other side, 18-6 and record, ERA at 332 this regular season. Advantage Strasburg, right? Advantage goes to the Washington Nationals in this case. What does St. Louis do offensively? Where do the hits come from? They've got a good enough group here. Although they are one of the teams that play small ball more than about any other in baseball. The Dodgers led the way in bunts this year. But the Cardinals got quite a few guys that are going to at least once a game attempt to lay one down. Colton Wong probably being at the forefront. But they got to do something to get Dexter Fowler going. Dexter Fowler is their igniter. And he just hasn't been there. And Mike Schilt says he's going to stick with him. Right now, he's going to stick with him, even though he's going, what, so far in these playoffs? Is he something like 2 for 29? Is something like that? At some point, St. Louis just has to flat out be able to hit the ball because they've been pitching well enough. And Jack Flaherty's one of those guys, he'll give you a chance to win, but he's not going to overwhelm somebody in the postseason. At least you wouldn't think. He hasn't given us any reason to think he will so far. The point being that Flaherty will give the Cardinals a chance to win tonight. But if you do want to win and ultimately make a run in this series, St. Louis simply has to be better offensively. And they will be. They will be. I don't know that that translates to a win tonight against Strasburg. Because when you've got four hits in two games, Strasburg is one of the last pitchers you want to see. But eventually, the bats are going to start coming alive for St. Louis again. Maybe not tonight. Maybe they go down three games to nothing, and maybe this series is over by the time we talk on Wednesday. But St. Louis is going to be better offensively than what they showed in the first two games of this series. How about last night? Carlos Correa walks it off, and, ah, man, ladies and gentlemen, I love it because we have ourselves a series. I didn't want the Yankees going up 2-0 and then going back to New York flipping home field advantage. They did flip home field advantage already, but it's a 1-1 series. Houston did manage to split a monster game from Correa. Not only did he have the game-winning homer, but he also shined defensively and helped Houston win what I felt like was a must-win. So Houston evens a series. They resume tomorrow in New York. That game, again, can be heard right here on ESPN-UP. I tell you what, let's transition over to college football because Week 8 is going to feature a top 10 that looks like this. Alabama at the top. LSU, after beating Florida, makes the jump to number two. Clemson is third, followed by Ohio State, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Penn State, Notre Dame, Florida, Georgia. That is the top ten. There are a few surprises here in this list. There are a few teams that I don't believe are worthy of where they're ranked. Now, don't get me wrong, they're deserving, because when you break it down, the logic behind it is there. But are you going to tell me that Florida is really a better team than Georgia? Let's just use this one for an example. Florida comes in at number 9. Georgia's number 10. There is no way Florida is a better team than Georgia. But you look at each of their losses. Florida's came to LSU, undefeated, ranked second in the country. Georgia's came at home against a 2-3 and three South Carolina team. So yeah, Florida is not a better team than Georgia. But what's the case to rank Georgia higher? Simply the eye test. Florida is going to get exposed at some point this year. Just wait. LSU, I don't totally trust to be there either. 
not at number two. Top 10, maybe. I don't think Florida's a top 10 team. Top 15 at best. But LSU? Right now, they've given us no reason to think that they won't be. Look at their wins this year. They beat Texas. They beat Florida. They beat some really good teams. And Joe Burrow is playing like a Heisman favorite right now, which I believe he is one of the Heisman favorites. I think he's up there along with Jonathan Taylor and Jalen Hurts. Right now, those are my top three. Those are the three guys that I'm sending to New York if the Heisman voting was tomorrow. Despite that, despite me not believing LSU is for real, there is no case against them right now. There's no case to say that they shouldn't be ahead of Clemson or Ohio State. In fact, I think Ohio State might have a better case to be ahead of Clemson right now. I think Oklahoma, you could make the argument, is better than Clemson right now. Maybe Wisconsin, maybe even Wisconsin. But with the absolute dismantling that we saw this weekend, I'm talking Wisconsin's party, the Badgers are for real. The Badgers are a really good team. Yet, at the end of the year, do I believe that they'll be there? No. No, I don't think this is a college football playoff team. I don't think this is even a Big Ten championship team right now. They've looked really, really good. And Jonathan Taylor's numbers are better than Mark Ingram's when he won the Heisman back in 09. The problem is he's going up against two quarterbacks that right now are lighting the world on fire, and we all know how the voters love quarterbacks. Jonathan Taylor is deserving, absolutely. Wisconsin right now is deserving of their number six ranking. And if they go undefeated and win the Big Ten, there's a really good chance they're going to find themselves in the college football playoff. Do I think that's what's going to happen? I don't. Not yet. And it's not anything that they've done this year. But I do believe it requires going undefeated and winning the Big Ten to get into the college football playoff. I just don't think that's going to happen. New Year's Six Bowl, yeah. College football playoff, I'm not sure yet. I want to know why Penn State is ranked number seven. They went the road and they beat Iowa. Okay, yeah, that's a good win. Iowa's ranked top 20. Kinnick's always a tough place to play. But Penn State has not been overly impressive this year. The Iowa win the other night, and defensively they were good, but Iowa's offense is still pretty bad. I'm just not sold on Penn State. They're going to get ripped apart when they go through the meat of the Big Ten East schedule. I don't have confidence in them as far as going to the Big Ten championship. Not just winning, not even getting there. The teams that I believe have a legit shot in making the college football playoff at least We'll go with the top 10 right now. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma. I still don't think LSU is going to make it. I still don't think LSU is a college football playoff team. Same with Wisconsin. Even though they've given me really no reason this year to think that they won't be, I'm not ready to buy in on them yet. I don't think Penn State will be there. Notre Dame might be there at the end. They're ranked 8th right now. I believe that they're going to run the table and win out and go 11-1. and one. But I said earlier, in this day and age, this climate, this culture, I don't believe Notre Dame can get in with anything less than an undefeated season. So Notre Dame might hang around, but I don't think they're going to best anybody like Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma. And then we need to talk about our Georgia's college football playoff hopes officially shattered. They lose in double overtime to South Carolina. Such an ugly game. Do you remember last year during the SEC championship when Kirby Smart just seemed to lose the ability to call plays with any kind of intelligence? People were making Kirby dumb jokes, Kirby not smart. That Kirby Smart showed up again 
on Saturday when Georgia lost to South Carolina. As far as I'm concerned, the pack right now is too good for you to have a loss to South Carolina in your resume. But my head tells me, my knowledge of football and the college landscape tells me, if they run the table and win the SEC championship, they're still probably going to get in. Because the SEC champions got to get in, according to the College Football Playoff Committee. If the season ended right now, of course LSU, Wisconsin, even Florida are all more deserving. But something tells me that Georgia's probably going to finish ahead of all three of those teams when it's all said and done. And then, of course, we have some new additions to the rankings this week. How about Minnesota checking in at number 20? I texted Ryan Stig this the other night because he's a Minnesota guy. I said, I don't remember what show. I can't begin to remember because this was a year ago. But I remember distinctly telling Ryan, because he is not a fan of P.J. Fleck, Ryan is not rowing the boat. I don't know that a lot of Minnesota fans are. But I distinctly remember telling Ryan on this show, if somebody wants to (laughs) go way back in the archives, the on-demand, and find it, be my guest, that one year, P.J. Fleck, who, by the way, went 5-7 and his first year at Minnesota, got extended. The next year went 6-6, and got extended. One year, P.J. Fleck would get the schedule to work out so that he would get to avoid Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State, and the Gophers would run through the Big Ten West, as weak as it is, and they would finish with nine, ten-something wins, and then they'd be stuck with him for life. That is coming true. That is coming true. Get used to it, Gopher fans. Row the boat is staying there for better or for worse. But the Gophers at 6-0, and they thump Nebraska on Saturday night, and they move in to the top 20. Elsewhere, you've got Missouri joining the ranks after losing in Week 1 to Wyoming. They've won five straight. They're up to number 22. Appalachian State with a coaching change. They haven't missed a beat. 5-0, and ranked 24th. And then Washington, despite their two losses, rejoins the top 25. I tell you what, we got our college football juices flowing. Let's take our last time out. We'll play Over Under next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any part of today's show, get caught up on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple iStore or Google Play or look up ESPNUP.com and get the on-demand there. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along this Monday afternoon as we wind down the workday. And we do so by playing over-under with the college football top 25 lines as we do every Monday to end the show. But before we get to that, a couple of things I want to bring to your attention. There's some stuff that's been going down recently. Some new stories developing in regards to Major League Baseball. Michael Young, you remember him? former Texas Rangers infielder, now works in their front office, he's been receiving calls about managerial jobs, although the teams are not yet named. Mike Bell, the brother of David Bell, manager of the Cincinnati Reds, he's currently Arizona's director of player development, is being interviewed for the Pittsburgh Pirates job. He's in the mix, along with Derek Shelton, Minnesota Twins bench coach, Sam Fold, former Major League Baseball outfielder, and Jeff Bannister, former Texas Rangers manager. That's just one of the news stories going on, though. The Philadelphia Phillies are bringing in Dusty Baker and Buck Showalter to interview for their vac- uh, vacant managerial spot. Mike Sosha is also going to be a candidate for them, as well as Joe Girardi. Elsewhere, 
The Cubs have a couple of interviews today, one being with Joe Espada, the bench coach for the Astros. So this is weird. In the NFL, you have to wait until the team season is done to be able to interview with another team for a coaching position. That's not the case in baseball because Espada is detouring on his way to New York, and he's going to join the team tomorrow in time for Game 3 of the ALCS. Meanwhile, the New York Mets are interviewing two prospective managers today. One, the aforementioned Mike Bell, who's also interested in the Pirates' job, and the other being Eduardo Perez, our own analyst here on ESPN. There's a lot going on there. I love it. I love baseball managerial spots filling up almost as much as I love the playoffs themselves, especially when your team's out. This is more of the interesting stuff for you. We have that, plus a little bit more hockey. Did you know it's Thanksgiving Canada today? I think it is. I think it's Thanksgiving in Canada Day is what I saw. And you know how we have football games on throughout the day for our Thanksgiving here? In Canada, they have hockey on throughout the day. Albeit, I'm a little disappointed because there's only one game actually being played in Canada. But afternoon hockey on a Monday. I love that. It gives me something to do here in the office. Follow hockey instead of, you know, work, do my job, watch hockey. That only Canadian team that got to host today, though, the only game played in Canada on Thanksgiving Monday was Ottawa, and they got shut out. Shut out 2 nothing by Minnesota. So happy Thanksgiving. Elsewhere, Boston 4-2 winners over Anaheim. The Panthers beat the Devils 6-4. The Islanders 3-2 in overtime against St. Louis. And then a few games still to be played tonight. Colorado at Washington. That game will start here in about 10 minutes. It'll be a return home for Philip Grubauer as he goes back to D.C. And then 8.30 tonight, Edmonton at Chicago. One game in progress. End of two. Buffalo leads Dallas 2 to nothing. Vincent DeMay, forward at Northern Michigan, was named forward of the week for the WCHA with a two-goal performance this weekend against Sparty. Northern Michigan receiving votes in the latest top 25 rankings. Denver has taken over the top spot in this week's poll. I tell you what, if something else breaks, develops, we'll get it to you. We'll get it to you here before we sign off. But let's play over under it. I tell you what, have you seen this slate of college football games for this weekend, games involving the top 25? A few weeks ago, some people were saying week four, I think it was, was a desolate wasteland of games. This weekend's terrible. There's no good game here. I'm taking the over on a lot of these. I just want to let you know ahead of time. There's no good game. There's no no decisive matchup. I mean, maybe there's a couple that could be good, but there's nothing on paper that jumps out at you and says, this is must-watch TV. And worst of all for me, Notre Dame's got the week off. Notre Dame's got the bye week, and then they come up here, well, I mean to Ann Arbor, and play Michigan. But I tell you what, let me give you these games anyway. Let's play over-under to finish out the workday. And let's begin with a Big Ten battle. Ohio State, 28-point favorites on the road. They take on Northwestern. I'm going to go with the over on this one just because Justin Fields is right outside the top three in my Heisman power rankings, I guess. I haven't made an official ranking system, but Justin Fields is up there if I did. And Northwestern just doesn't have things figured out right now. They don't have any sense of direction They've got starting position battles that are still up for grabs at this point in the season. You can go on Northwestern's depth chart and have, I don't know, I guess it's not fun. I guess it's not fun to to count all this. But you can spend a considerable amount of the day just looking at the number of the word ors in their depth chart. Because they can't make up their mind who's starting where. There's no consistency or balance for them. And Ohio State has just been playing that good right now. I'm going with the Buckeyes to cover and go over the 28-point spread this weekend at Northwestern. Georgia at home. 
They have Kentucky, and they're 26-point favorites. Georgia's going to come out with something to prove after what happened this weekend with South Carolina. They're going to be angry, and you don't want Jake Fromm when he's angry. And Kentucky's a step up from Carolina, but I still think this is a revenge game from Georgia. They're angry, and they're going to take it out on UK. I could, I can see why you can make the case that UK could make this an okay game. I'm going to go with Georgia just because I think they're going to be angry. I think they're going to cover the 26-point spread. You've got LSU 19-point favorites. They go on the road, and they play the Fighting Dak Prescotts. They are at Mississippi State this weekend. I want to go with the under on it because that's a tough place to play, and that's a program that can be tricky at times. At the same time, Joe Burrow has just been that good. LSU has just been that good. I'm going to tentatively go with the over. Set it at about 20, 21, something like that. How about Utah at home, 14-point favorites against Arizona? I'll take the over on that. I like what Utah's done this year. I haven't really liked what Arizona's done this year. They haven't done a whole lot to make me think they will get within two touchdowns on the road. Minnesota, new to the top 25. They're on the road this weekend, and they take on Rutgers. Minnesota favored by 29. I'll go with the over on it. I think the Gophers roll in this one. Rutgers is in just such a mess right now. Absolute mess. Their football program, terrible shape. That Minnesota's got all the momentum coming into this game. I think they go on the road, and they win handily by five touchdowns. Clemson, on the road, they visit Louisville. Tigers, 22-point favorites. I will... This is where I might go out on a limb a little bit, because I'll take the under, slightly. I go with Clemson by about 19. If the over-under was set at 19, that's about where I'd like it. Clemson at Louisville. Clemson hasn't lived up to expectations this year. They were expected to just roll through college football this year, and they haven't done that. They've been good. They survived that scare from North Carolina. But Louisville's a pesky team, and they're getting better. They just knocked off one ranked team in Wake Forest, who was undefeated. Now they're going to be at home, and they're playing pretty good football right now. Not to say Clemson isn't. But are they good enough to win by three touchdowns on the road against a really pesky opponent? I'm not sure they are. Here's where I'll take the under. You have Oklahoma 33-point favorites at home against West Virginia. I'll go with the over on it. Jalen Hurts right now is the Heisman front runner for me. And I don't know what's going on with West Virginia, especially defensively. But they just got lit up this weekend by Iowa State. They have a pretty good offense at times. Oklahoma's got a really good offense all the time. I'm going with Oklahoma to cover the 33-point spread. Wisconsin on the road at Illinois, Badgers by 29. I'm going to go with the over on this one. Wisconsin's done what they've done to Michigan and Michigan State, far superior opponents to Illinois. I don't even care the game's in Champaign. Wisconsin is going to roll the over-under set too low if it's at 29. That's easy money for me. Auburn, 18-point favorites when they go on the road to take on Arkansas. I'll slightly go with the under on this one. I'm feeling a little wild. Arkansas has been good at times. Their upside is there, but they've been inconsistent. And road wins in the SEC are really tough to come by. I don't think Arkansas is going to win this game, but maybe they'll be pesky enough that they can get the under taken care of on the 18-point spread against Auburn. Iowa at home, 17-point favorites against Purdue. This one's easy for me. I'm going with the under on this one. The last time Purdue was at Kinnick Stadium was two years ago. And they beat a Hawkeye team that thrashed Ohio State 55-24 just a week earlier. And Purdue, whatever their quarterback's name is, I don't have it off the top of my head, that quarterback just won player of the week. They have a pretty good team. They really do. 
They've got explosive players on offense. Iowa looked anemic offensively last week. Defense, yeah, they were okay. Offense, though, has got to be better. I don't fully trust them uh, to do that, which is why I'm going to take the under on Iowa being 17-point favorites against Purdue. You have Oregon by a field goal this weekend at Washington. That game, by the way, can be heard here on ESPN-UP. Pre-game coverage beginning Saturday afternoon at 3 Eastern. I am going to go with the under on this one. Three-point margin of victory on the road. Wisconsin, excuse me, Washington. They've been there in a lot of these games. They're 5-2. and two. Their record could be better. I think I'm going to go with the Huskies. I don't know if I want them to win, though. I'm not saying that they're going to win or pull the upset. But Oregon by field goal, I don't know. This really could be a one-point affair. SMU, Southern Methodist. At home, six-point favorites against Temple. I picked Temple last week just because of my heart. Nothing on paper told me to, and it worked. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. Temple this weekend gets the upset over SMU. Cincinnati at home, they are 17-point favorites against Tulsa. I'll take the over on that as well. The fighting Luke Fickles. Oklahoma State, four-point favorites at home against Baylor. Baylor fighting for their lives this weekend. Had to go to overtime in their own homecoming game. I'm going to take the over on this one. I think it's a big weekend for Mike Gundy and his squad. They defend the home field, and they cover. They win by two scores at least. I'm going to set it around 10 to 14 points. Missouri playing good football lately. 20-point favorites on the road at Vanderbilt. Again, I know that wins in the SEC are tough to come by, but Vanderbilt's been anemic this year, and Missouri is playing really good football right now. They've won five straight since that loss against Wyoming to open the year. I'm going to go with Missouri to cover and go over the three-touchdown spread. Texas, 21-point favorites. They're at home. They take on KU. Texas played pretty well on Saturday. I'll give them credit. Their defensive backs just got torched. But all in all, Sam Ellinger kept them around. They are going to torch KU this week. I'm going with Texas to cover the spread and then some. How about Alabama at home? 36-point favorites against Tennessee. We're running out of time, so I'll just say take the over. Here's the last one we got, and I know this is the one that a lot of you are going to be tuning into. Penn State at home against Michigan. The Nittany Lions favored by eight. Maybe this is the best game this weekend, and you know what? I'm going to take Michigan to get the upset this weekend. I've said it before. I think Penn State is overrated. They just haven't done it for me this year. Michigan throttled them last year. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take Michigan to get the upset this weekend at Happy Valley. With that, we are out of time. I appreciate you tuning in and hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. A reminder, I'm back on tomorrow, same time and place, 4 Eastern, 3 Central, and it's my hope that you join me. Tune in for baseball tonight. We've got NLCS Game 3 action from D.C., 738 first pitch here in ESPN-UP. Class dismissed, signing off from ESPN-UP WZAM. I'm Tanner Hoops. Thanks for listening to the Sports Pen.